0: God is at work in our children's lives. Amen? To see this and to see the two children born this week and to be on Father's Day, you know, just encouragement to parents and dads. Like, yeah, it can get real messy at times. But the truth is this. God is at work in our families and in our children's hearts. Amen? Amen? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We'll see what God does over the years with these developing souls. And uh, I'm looking forward to countless baptisms to see when they give their lives to God. You looking forward to that? Amen. Amen. So, uh, you're late to work again. Anybody identify with that statement immediately? You're late to work again. You're literally flying out the door. You grab your bag, you grab your keys, if you find them. You grab your all-important freshly brewed cup of coffee. Thank you, someone's brand loyal. Kubal, thank you very much. So you hurry yourself to the car, you put your keys into the ignition, You, you throw your bag into the front seat, You drop your coffee into the cup holder and you hit it in reverse and you back out of the driveway and all of a sudden you hear honk, honk. You almost hit your neighbor. That happened this week to some of you, right? But it wasn't for the honk, honk. Guess what? We would have hit the neighbor. But thanks to the warning, what? We didn't. So we waved, sorry, my bad, You know, kind of smile one of those deals reluctantly and the neighbor says no problem or maybe reacts differently, which we won't go into detail. So you continue to go forward. You see red signs that tell you you're coming up to an intersection and you need to stop. And if you don't stop, guess what? Wham! Right? But you see the sign and you stop. Then you turn left, you pull out of your development, you're driving down the road probably slightly over the speed limit, and guess what happens? You hear this sound. It's not a honk, honk. It's more like a ding, ding, ding. And you look down at the dashboard, and you don't just hear a sound, but you see a a blinking yellow kind of indicator light, and guess what it's telling you? You moron. (laughs) Guess what it's telling you? It's not gas. Nice try. It's your your seatbelt. You forgot to put your seatbelt on. And so, whew, you recognize the potential dangers, and you've been in countless accidents before, and so you go, whew, the indicator light, you grab the seatbelt, and you put it right over, right? And you hear the click. You're in. And you continue... To go down the road and you cruise down the boulevard staring at a stale green. And you're thinking to yourself, what shall I do? Because once again you're late and your boss has just about had it. And you see that stale green and you, like me, say, I'm going to get it. And you floor it. And then all of a sudden, what? Yellow! ah, warning, warning, and you do the holy thing, because you're a Christian, and you slow down and stop, ever so patiently, such a great attitude, and you wait, right? Anybody ever go through this? Am I the only person that's late to everything, or at least almost late? Right? Warnings. Warnings. They save our lives, don't they? Right? Maybe they don't. Maybe nothing would have happened, but maybe it would have. Right? The warnings are really graces. Like they're kind of annoying. The beeping light, the honking horn, the, the yellow. They're annoying, but if you really begin to think about it, warnings are are gifts. They may be wrapped differently, may not be flashy with the ribbon, might just simply be some duct tape and some butcher paper, but they're gifts. Warnings are expressions of grace that literally save our lives, and we may not notice that in the day-to-day, but that's what they are. They're, they're, They're expressions of grace. They're gifts. And they save our lives. Friends, today, in our passage, Jesus warns us. He warns us of a life-threatening situation that is ever-present. And he's not meaning to be grumpy. He's not meaning to push the envelope in any. Aspect, like just, just for the sake of it. He's extending grace to those who hear. He's literally saving your life. Now, to add to the heaviness that Jesus is warning us today, he's warning us about our favorite topic money, possessions, C notes things stuff and how we orient ourselves to it right he's not just warning us about money as you'll see he's digging even deeper yes about money but he's warning us about our heart because the way we relate to money the way we handle it is a reflection of our heart what we value what we treasure. And what we're trying to get at today is very simple. We want to hear the grace of God in Christ as he warns us about how we relate to possessions, how we relate to money, and really our very heart before him, whether it is rich before him or completely bankrupt before him. Because one day we will stand before the living God when he calls us to account, no pun intended, for the richness or lack thereof of our soul. And the way that we've dealt with possessions, really what our heart has treasured throughout our lives will be the way in which God measures our heart. Warning, indicator light flashing, horn is honking, signs are posted by Jesus about the state of our heart, about the way we handle money. And let me say this as we turn to the passage. This is a matter of life and death. This is no small thing. Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. The parable of the rich fool. The name itself is a dichotomy. He's rich. But yet a fool. Could that be you? Could that be us? Let's see. Let's heed this warning, and let's hear this grace. And let's God do a work in our heart today, Amen. Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." But he said to him, "Man, who made you I'm sorry, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you?" And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. ye.'" drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Warnings. He's given us a warning. This is not the first warning in this particular stream of passages. You look back at verse 1 of chapter 12. Jesus is teaching the disciples as the crowd gathers, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of that. He's giving them the gift. Hypocrisy is not honoring the Lord. Beware of it. He goes on in verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. 12.10, he's reassuring them first. Even a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Very strong statements. Very clear, very direct. Overwhelming to the hearer, but understood it's a gift. Jesus is warning us and his disciples, and he's being very gracious to us. He, like a good father who sees his child run after a loose ball that bounces over the car into the street, who yells, Silas, stop! Man, that doesn't sound good. Silas may want to run into the road, Because that's his ball. But what a gift it is as the car approaches that. Do you see what I'm getting at? There's warning, but there's grace. And so this warning is one. That he gives to us as well, but someone comes up to him from the crowd and says teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me See someone in the crowd is coming to jesus because there's some benefit that he wants to receive from jesus Does that sound familiar to anyone? I'm not talking about peace in our heart I'm, not talking about righteousness before god. I'm not talking about forgiveness of sin. I'm talking about for uh, financial gain from jesus That's why they're coming to Jesus. They want something temporal from Jesus. They are using Jesus for their own gain. Does that sound familiar to anyone? That's not how we approach Jesus. Let's just be clear. Right? But this guy comes to Jesus and he asks for an inheritance to be settled in the family. And Jesus asks him the question, who am I? Who's made me? Uh, an arbitrator over you who's made me a judge. This isn't what I'm here to do. This isn't what I'm I'm, I'm supposed to do in reference. This just isn't my realm. I'm not doing this. But he's not just backing out because he doesn't see himself responsible or he doesn't feel like doing it. He's backing out because Jesus sees something deeper going on inside this man's heart. You see, as we approach Jesus, he always understands the motive. He always knows why we're coming to him. He always knows, and he can read and look through and see into the deepest part of our soul to recognize what we really want, what we really crave, what our treasure is. He knows. People around you may not know. You may be able, like the Pharisees, to put on a show about what that treasure is, but Jesus being all-knowing and all-powerful and being like laser precision in his understanding and judging of who we are and our emotions and our motives, he looks right at this man and he says this to everyone that's there. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. This man was coveting. He had that constant craving for more. I think a craving that we can easily identify with. That no matter how much we have, it's never enough, and so we always want more. Because the things and possessions of this world are never sufficient to give us the satisfaction that we long for, one that is lasting and eternal, and yet we somehow believe through efforts of mass marketing and, and, and ad campaigns and constant images that we're bombarded with, that to truly be happy, we need to have this. And Jesus is saying to this man, and he's saying to us, uh, written with this in American society, living under the shadow and the overwhelming uh, power of the American dream, we say, yeah, we need more. Jesus says, be very careful. Be on your guard. Put up a fence around your life and your heart to defend yourself against this life-threatening enemy. This craving for more. Am I overstating it? I don't think so. Let me confess, this is a struggle of my own heart. When I think God has gained great victory and growth in my life, but it's still always there. It's constant. We're bombarded with it. And we're always faced with the decision, will we pursue it? Will we run after these things in this world or will we see the true treasure that is to be pursued? Take care. That you guard yourself against all covetousness. All forms of covetousness are life-threatening conditions. Avoid it. Intentionally stay away from it. Don't go there. Don't let it come near to you. Can't say enough about it. Why? Jesus tells us. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, our reason, the reason we run after these things is because we have a completely distorted and confused understanding of the meaning and value of life. In American society, we would measure the meaning and value of life by the amount that's in the account. We would see our significance, our buying power, Our happiness, our security, and the amount of resources and things that we have around us and available to us. Correct me if I'm wrong, that the American dream casts that vision. It can be anything you want to be. You can have anything you want to have. It's at your fingertips. And even if you want it, you want to pay for it over the next three years, do it now. No interest, baby. Right? Meaning, value, understanding about human life. What? We tie it to the amount that's in the account. But Jesus is saying the value of life is not measured by the amount in anybody's bank account. Someone say amen to that. That God does not look at us and measure our significance and our value and our worth based on how many dollars are in the bank account. That's not the way God measures the value and the worth of the human heart. He measures it quite differently. So he says, because life is not measured on those terms, avoid covetousness. Avoid the constant need for more. Please run from it. Like flee sexual immorality. Build up a fence around your life to stand against The enemy known as covetousness. Go nowhere near it. Drive around that area of American living. Stay away from covetousness. If you walk through it, if you delve into it, if you play with it even a little bit, it has the power to destroy you. That's what Jesus is saying. That's powerful. Anyone feel conviction? But yet it's a grace. This is a gift. Don't run in the road, son. I love you. I love you. Don't do this. Don't go there. That's what Jesus is doing. He goes on to tell a parable to further illustrate this. He talks about this rich landowner who has a problem that we all have. He's got so much stuff he doesn't know what to do with. Right? You're supposed to laugh at that. The the land of a rich man produced plentifully. That is, he planted seed. He did the hard work. He was a good businessman. Bottom line, the land produced plentifully. He had crops coming out of his ears so much that he had nowhere to put them. He had so much that he had a major problem. What do I do with all of my stuff? What do I do with all these crops? You see, we would read a story like this, and uh, 99% of us would be like, yeah, I'm not identifying with the story at all. Matter of fact, I feel the exact opposite. I feel like I never have enough, that it's a struggle each and every day to just simply make ends meet. It's a struggle each and every day to just put food on the table, to pay the electric bill, to make sure that my house is not repossessed, right? We usually feel like really what we need is more, not what do we do? Like that's, that's our problem. Where do I get more? Not what do I do with all this stuff That I have laying around that I can't even personally use in the moment. It's that much stuff. What do I do with abundance? That's what he's asking. And then he says to himself, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns. And I'm going to build larger ones. I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods in there. Ah, seems like a good decision. Right? Isn't that how you should steward All this abundance that God has given you, like, oh, I know, we'll save it. We'll keep it for another date. We'll prepare for the future someday. Like in 30 years, we'll have a ton still left so that it's there and available in case some other season of our life is less plentiful. Sounds like a good idea. Sounds fair and reasonable, right? That's pretty much what much of the retirement planning industry is driven by. That's what we do. Seems like just smart businessman. But then he says this. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, it's hard for us to identify with this guy because he has all this abundance. He has this major problem. What do I do with all of this stuff and all of this crop? All of a sudden we realize that we can easily identify with the true crave of his heart. Man, if I just store this up, it will secure for me a a future, a consistent longevity where I can do what I really want. I can have the life that I have and the life that I want for years to come. I can do what every man, fathers, are we listening, wants to do at the end of the day. I can, big R word, relax. I won't have anything to worry. I won't have to work. I won't have to struggle. There'll be no anxieties and pressures in my life because I have so much put aside. I'm so much security. I can then truly live at quote unquote peace. I can relax. I can kick my feet up. I can live every day like it's a constant 9 p.m. We tell our kids all the time, listen, we love you. We'll be there for you. We'll put food on the table. If you need something, we will listen. You know what? If you, if you need to take you somewhere, we'll take you. We're available to your need. We were patient with you. But when 9 o'clock hits, we're none of those things. <laughs> Any parents understand what I'm talking about? We are not available to you from 9 to 7. You guys are like, that's not right. Well, that's how we feel, right? There's a limit, right? There's a limit to what we're willing to do for as long as we... And then all of a sudden, we hit this, like, button. Like, I deserve rest. I deserve some me time. I just want to chill and do nothing. I want to eat. I want to pig out. I want to drink. I'm just going to be happy. I'm just going to enjoy the fruit of a labor from years ago. And you can't miss the following. You cannot miss the selfishness of this landowner. landowner. On 11 occasions in those short verses, what's the personal pronoun that is used? Circle them. I I will say to my soul, he sounds like a college student, right? Well, my roommate and, and my, my major and my bank account and my email. Email me, you know, right? He sounds like a college student that's all of a sudden got all this me time. Like, no parents telling him what to do. Like, oh, man, send me an email and I will, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness, self. <laughs> Such a selfishness in this guy. You see, he had this obligation, right? Not everyone was living with that kind of abundance in society. Matter of fact, it would talk about the 99%. It might have been higher. So he had this incredible opportunity to take his excess and his possessions and to make it available to people that didn't have such a good year. He had an opportunity, not just an obligation, to take his resources and say, hey, How can I help? How can I be a blessing? How can I put food on somebody else's table? How can I provide some sort of peace of mind to another family? Right? He had that opportunity, but his mindset was so selfish. Eleven personal pronouns. I, me, my. And he lost the opportunity for sacrificial generosity to be extended to other people. And I think often we do the same. We miss that opportunity. No one's up here standing, give or else. It's the gospel opportunity that we have when we look at need, when we look at potential ways in which we can reach this world. We take our excesses and we we have a selfish mentality and we keep them for ourselves. I need that. I want that. Even if not for today, for another day. And we miss out on the day that we have, the opportunity that we have to spread this generosity and this provision into the lives of other people. That's what this guy's missing, and therefore that's the opportunity that he is losing. But not only his selfishness, we also see his ownership mentality. Migraine. I'm adding emphasis. Mine. There's no reference to God at all in his resources or his things. And I think many of us approach our lives, including our resources, with an ownership mentality just like the landlord. You see we may not have a ton of extra right now. That may not be our particular situation. We may not identify with the rich man's problem but I think we can identify easily with the rich man's crave. I want to relax. I think we can easily identify with the selfish mentality and the ownership approach to life can't we this is mine i worked for it nobody else did i earned it it's mine and so we begin to live life without reference to the one who has provided the true owner of everything the lord and we live without reference to the needs the opportunities to bless other people that's what coveting does It places our demands and our desires at the center. It shows what we really treasure. And it's not the Lord. It's not other people. It's ourselves. And we walk through our lives with an ownership mentality. This is mine. I give God maybe a percentage. Maybe cut him a little love just to check some box. And make sure everyone thinks I'm holy. And make sure that I feel better about my crazy spending in my credit card debt so I give just a little bit in the bucket so I feel a little bit better but it's not really living with a stewardship mentality where we take a look at all of our relationships all of our time all of our money our homes our emotions everything that God has given to us and say Lord it all came from you and it's all for you how can I live a life with these things so that you are glorified with all that you have given to me You see, that's a stewardship mentality. We recognize we're not owners. We're just managers. We're guardians. We're stewards. We talk about that all the time, or at least should be all the time, about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be someone who says, I trust Jesus, I follow Jesus. In other words, I treasure God more than anything this world would offer me. When someone says, I treasure God, they don't treasure to that degree The things of this world, the possessions, the amount in their account. And they're willing to say, hey, if I have God, if I have everything, you can have the rest of it. What can I I give to you? That's the response of someone who lives in a stewardship mentality. But this guy's living with an ownership mentality. He's completely confused about the meaning and the value of life. It is not the amount in his account is something so much more. And while he's planning for these newer barns and storing this up and having one day, someday, he's he's living today in the hopes of someday being able to sit, relax, put his feet up on his recliner and simply watch Netflix. While he's making all these plans with this selfish posture and this owner mentality, God says, today, Wait, what? I thought he had 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Wait, today, I'm calling your soul to account. You see, this guy was making plans of the future, but on this very day, God called his life in death. See, we don't know 20, 30 years from now God could call us at any time. And when He calls us, He wants to see the state of our soul, not the amount in our account. Amen? That it's not resources upon which God measures our heart before Him. It's righteousness. Righteousness. He looks at the guy and says, today, your soul is required of you. I'm taking account of it. These things that you have, whose are they? It's silliness to him. It's silliness to God. You have all these things. They're not yours. They don't come with you, right? Job 121, naked I came, naked I'll return. As Dan reminded me this week, John Piper's quote, there are no U-Hauls on hearses. powerful quote all this stuff you have that you saved for yourself that you said to your soul about whose are they now you stand before me naked and I see your heart I see your treasure and you're bankrupt spiritually you're a fool not just stupid, It's not what God means. That's immoral, immoral, rebellious. It's not just that he was clueless, like, oh, he didn't know, he was kind of dumb. No, that his heart was fully unrighteous. See, God, when we're called, when our soul is called to account, and each and every one of us will have to come before God someday and give an account for the state of our soul. I want you to hear that. Now he's preaching about hell. First about money. Now he's talking about judgment. Every soul will stand before God. And our soul will have to give an account for the state of it. And stuff, money, things, experiences that we like now, that we pay for None of that will be in God's measuring the state of our soul. The measure of our life will be the treasure of our heart. Right? Look at what he says. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, the parable points at us. It's a mirror now. Not just this guy, not just the parable, not just the brother demanding that so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, God measures us on the basis of righteousness or lack thereof, not resources. So if we treasure the things of this world, that means we're spiritually bankrupt in the presence of God. I asked yesterday as we were serving over at the rescue mission I asked the question how would you measure the value of your life? And every time I ask a question people think I'm trying to trick them. Nobody's trying to trick you just asking a question. Must be this, the tone or the look in the eye I don't know I'm trying to get you. How would you measure the value of your life? And one of the people that was serving with us said one word and hit the nail right on the head on the way God measures the value of our soul, the meaning in our soul. He said, Christ. Christ. That's it. When God sees you, the only way that we'll be saved from foolishness, the only way that we'll be saved from condemnation, the only way that we'll be saved is if when God looks at us, He sees the only thing that matters, the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Amen? Therefore, That is the most valuable thing in the world. That's the most valuable thing to pursue. That's where satisfaction, joy, peace, security, this day and forevermore, is found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not the silliness of this world that would try to compare. Don't crave more stuff. Crave Christ. Right? We're not Buddhists. We're not saying get rid of all desire. No, desire is good. The craving of your heart is is almost a signal too. Like, I want something. I want joy. I want satisfaction. I want peace. And I go, therefore I'm going to Copper Top to have two pizzas. (laughs) How does that happen? See, we we have the right cravings we just go to the wrong place for it it's not possessions it's christ and here's the beauty of it while no amount of resources or religious duty can buy the righteousness of Christ. Let's be clear about that. You say, well, no, no, no. Listen, I'll just buy it. You can't. It's not for sale. And even if it was, you don't have enough money. Based on the infinite value that Christ's righteousness is, you'll never have enough money, nor religious duty. You say, Well, okay, I'm not gonna get, store up money, I'm just gonna store up good works. I'm just gonna store up, man, was I a good boy. Guess what? Fool! Here's the beauty of the gospel. It's a gift. <laughs> it's freely given. That highlights and illuminates the, the treasure of Christ all the more. That God gives it to us through faith. Don't treasure things, trust in Christ, who is the greatest treasure. Because, listen, the measure of your life is the treasure of your heart. So trust in Jesus. And I would say this, that the transactions of your bank account tell a story about how you trust in Jesus. We've had our struggles over the years. Usually it goes like this. Where'd all the money go? You ever have one of those moments? Then you go, let's see. Print, 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 90 days. Print some bank statements. Kubal, <laughs> cool Kubal, cool highlighter, Kubal, cool core, Marshall's. <laughs> Ready for this one? Wegmans. Netflix, CBS All Access, Regal Cinemas. Where'd all the money go? Went to me. Went to me. Oh, OIP, sorry. OIP. <laughs> right? Again, I'm using exaggeration to make a point. If you want to know your treasure, just look at your bank statement. Don't tell me, oh, I love Jesus. Look at your bank statement. That's my application for you. See, there's not much application in this passage. It's a warning. It's a gift. It's a grace. And it calls us to evaluate. What is the treasure of my heart? And that's a major question because your life, your eternal life depends on the answer to that question. But I think you should go home, maybe spouses together, print your bank statements, take out a highlighter, maybe a couple colors. If we see consumerism without giving in generosity to others for months on end, if we never see check, 222, renovation church, X amount, if we never see uh, transaction, uh, campus crusade, auto-draft, if we never see on our account, ever, sacrificial generosity in the support of kingdom priorities in the world, if week in and week out, month in and month out, or at the very least, if we only see chump change, the extra, what was left after we paid for Disney, then we see clearly the treasure of our heart. Don't tell me you love Jesus and you have no resources for his glory or his people or the needs of others. Not true. You're living with an ownership mentality and a selfish understanding of resources. And I think, honestly, when a collection of us live with stewardship and generosity, there's so much that the Lord does in that. Lives are changed. People are cared for. Communities are blessed. People are fed. Such an opportunity we have. Imagine if every man, woman, and child in this congregation and other congregations said, Listen. I'm going to give. Because my treasure isn't stuff. My treasure is to see the righteousness of Christ applied to Onondaga County. Imagine that. There's no application here other than reevaluate your heart. But if you look at the next passage in Luke 12, Luke 13, 12, where are we? Luke 12, 13 through 21, right? If you look at the next passage in Luke 12, there is application. Don't fear. Don't be anxious about money. There's no reason to fear. That's not what life is. Your Father's going to provide. Many of our lack of stewardship is based on our fears, amen? Don't fear. If you want to relax, relax on that. Relax. God's got you. As you're trusting Him, God's got you. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. There it is. And all these things will be added unto you. You don't have to worry about it. You pursue the kingdom of God. You give to the church that spreads the kingdom of God in the world. Do it. Pursue the kingdom. That's what pursuing the kingdom is. That's for another sermon. But for sure, it includes that. Sell all your possessions. Give to the poor. Next week we're going to have Rainier Martinez, church planter with Missio right now, reaching the Cuban community. We're going to have an opportunity to hear his heart next week. We're going to have an opportunity to come alongside him financially too. Have an open heart for that. God's reaching the Cuban population in Syracuse. What an opportunity we have. New hope. What an opportunity we have. You know? Trying to remember the last application. (laughs) Sorry. Give. It's the only way to truly live. So maybe just pray and reevaluate, reprioritize. The truth is in the transactions. I hope you hear this as a gift. We're saving. Jesus is saving you from eternal death. Beware of all covetousness. Run to Christ, His righteousness. Trust in Him. Why? Because the measure of your life is found in the treasure of your heart. Amen? God, we confess to you we have treasured the things of this world. We've had a constant craving for more. We have approached resources as fools with a selfish posture and a owner mentality. Oh God, we praise you for this warning in this American culture, that you would save your people from coveting foolishness, and that you would prepare for us a way of living that represents the fact that we have the righteousness of Jesus, and we have a hope that one day we will stand for you. And you will say, not fool, but well done, good and faithful servant. Use us, O God, as we give. All for your glory. In Christ's name. Amen.